0: We need to talk. We need to talk. You ever had anybody uh, share those words with you before? You ever get you ever get that text message? You, you ever you ever maybe show up to work work, work rather? Uh, we need to talk. You ever get home after a long day of work and your spouse says, "We need to talk." Um, it, it, those are a few words that um, are quite gripping. Um maybe you've maybe you've um been in a situation like that or had that experience before. I know that we all have, but it's critical for any group of people and especially relationships that we that we talk and that we have conversations that are necessary for our relationship as a church today, we need to talk. Uh, we need to talk, and uh, as it relates to this issue of sexuality um in in many ways it It is and it will be uh, the most critical issue for the culture as well as for the church in our generation. Um, it's, it's incredibly important, but it's something that we just have to do, and we have to have um, the conversation. It reminds me when I was in, in college. Um, I was a freshman in college, and I had just showed up on campus, and I was at a social event where there was like these games and the ac- these activities, and if you know anything about me, I'm like in it to win it. If there's games, if there's competitions, like sign me up, I- I'm there. I remember showing up to the social event. I got put on one of the teams, and it was going to be a grab bag relay. You ever done one of these before? I- it's a relay race, and there is a bag at the end of where you're going. You have to go to the bag, come back, and there's something in the bag. It's called a grab bag. You put your hand in the bag, you pull it, and whatever's in the bag, you have to eat it. Okay? And it was a Christian college. It wasn't like weed and stuff, you know. It wasn't like it wasn't gummies, you know. It was like you know. But but whatever was in the bag, um, you had to you had to. Eat. And I remember I was up. It was it was. I think it was one of the last ones on my team, and I'm I'm ready ready to go. And I run as fast as I can. I put my hand in the bag. I pull my I pull my hand out of the bag, and it's a whole. It's a whole raw onion. I mean, just just the, I mean, the biggest, ugliest yellow onion you've ever seen in your life. And I'm like, are we serious right now? And, and then look back at the team and like, there's only one option, and the option is to eat it. And so I I, I went ahead and I ate the thing, like an apple on the spot. And um, uh, for for about the next five days, literally, I mean, I'd be on campus and like. 40 feet behind me. People, I feel like I smell an onion out here. I like a, um, in many ways today, I feel like I've grabbed an onion out of the bag, and I'm like, what are we doing? Why did I do this? Well, as it relates to this topic of sexuality, I think there's kind of three main ways that people engage this issue, specifically churches and Christians, kind of three strategies or three mindsets that that people use. The first is what I'll call the bully approach. The bully approach is that it's kind of anti-culture, it's kind of anti the world, and it's like, we're going to bully the world into believing what we believe. And so it's a highly antagonistic approach. It's kind of defiant, it's kind of joking, it's kind of laughing, it's kind of like mockery. It's, it's the bully approach. The other approach on the other extreme is what I'll call the backpedal approach. It's like, well, I don't really want to go there. I don't feel comfortable. I can't have a, you know, I'm, so, I'm just going to backpedal and backpedal and backpedal and backpedal, and you actually never engage the issue. The third way, which I think is the most appropriate way for us today, is what I'll call the bold approach. The bold approach um, is what we see in the scriptures. It's what we see specifically in the book of Acts, where God's people, they just boldly, they live and they follow what Jesus commands of us, and they don't pick and choose. The, the Christian life is not a buffet where you kind of get to walk down and pick out whatever you want. No, the Christian life is a life of following Jesus as Lord, and whatever he commands of us, we must uh, follow and follow and we can do this in a way that i would say is is bold that doesn't mean arrogant that that doesn't mean anything like that but but it means it means bold it means boldness and it's actually boldness it's it's only boldness of the church that actually advances the mission of god you look at the history of the church it's it's when the church is bold um when the church is is loving when the church is is, is gracious when like like john would say of jesus christ himself full of grace and truth but boldness in um in the way that they are operating. A few preliminary additional things I'd like to say before we jump in too far. Uh, The the first is, um, I'm just going to come right out of the gate and say that our position as a church and what we believe and the way that we operate theologically is our position is aligned with the historical position on matters of sexuality. Um, I believe our position is is nuanced that's why i'm going to take three weeks to kind of walk through and kind of help us digest this and think about it and the way that we approach it but our position is not the progressive uh, position which is uh, essentially the legitimization of same-sex relationships and other forms of sexuality um so i'm just going to kind of i mean you're at a church i'm a christian pastor so i'm just going to kind of i got a bible so i'm just going to come right out of the gate and and let you let you know that uh, so that you don't have to wait till like week 3 on like what does he think you know um, but that's, uh, that's where we are. Um, our Statement of Beliefs is, is on the website. We make it publicly. This is actually a line, uh, a little paragraph from our Statement of Beliefs. It says, Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. Amen. Now, this, 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 this topic, it's, it's so complex, and the way that I want to address it is really nuanced, which, which is why we're going to take three weeks to uh, I- engage it. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing that I just want to do right out the gate as we begin is just to lead with repentance. What I mean by that is there is much in my life and there's much in the church that needs to be repented of. Meaning, when it comes to this topic and this matter of sexual, I don't stand up here as someone that's like, has a perfect past on this, this issue. In, in fact, um, much of what plagues me, you know, in my life today and has a tendency to cause shame and condemnation is because of this specific matter. And in many ways, I have failed um, by God's grace. Um, there's nothing in my life right now that would disqualify me from being uh, a pastor or an elder, um, but I have in many ways um, displeased the Lord and, and failed him. And, and I just um, feel like it's, it's necessary that we don't carry ourselves with some kind of like haughty arrogance of like, we got this thing figured out, but now nah, we... We're, we're, we're broken, and uh, we've, we've failed, and, and, and I am chief of sinners um, on this issue. And In addition to my own self and uh, my, my own journey in this, uh, not only would I like to repent of my own actions, but I would actually like to repent of the church at large, meaning when we look at the church and we look at the history of the church, what we, we see is a church that doesn't have this issue um, nailed down or, or wrapped in, in, in a bow, but what we see is, is a long line of tragedy, of missteps, of hypocrisy, of lots of things when it comes to the matter of sexuality. And, and you're like, Ethan, why that's not you? Why would you? When we look at, look at the scriptures, we see that God's people are complicit in the actions of God's people. Um, you, you would see the, 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 the leader, Daniel, he, he would confess the sins of, the, of his current generation and the generations that preceded him. You would see Nehemiah, he, w- he would confess and he would repent of the sins of God's people in the moment as well as in the past. And so therefore, um, I believe it's fitting and necessary that I would um, say that I'm sorry and I, we need to repent. Uh, we need to repent of how we have, have missed this. Um, I, I think specifically of sexual immorality that is has been and is rampant in the church. In addition, uh, pornography and the use of pornography and actually the church's participation in that and in an industry that is plaguing our world. In addition to that, sexual abuse of children, of, of, of many, especially of clergy and those who are religious leaders in the church and almost every denomination is complicit in that and additionally repentance of hate towards our community, hate towards our friends, hate towards the LGBTQIA community and others, that Jesus never gives us license to hate people. And where the church has wronged, we should um, repent because we have failed. In addition to that, I would, before we dive in too far, um, I would like to um, acknowledge those who have been tremendously impacted uh, by this issue in your own life. My um, heart and and my goal isn't like, I'm just gonna like slap some things on the wall and like, regardless of where people are, what they think or how they feel, um, this has not been at all easy, thinking about how to navigate this. Many in the room today, many who are online, many who will hear this afterwards, who have wrestled with this for perhaps as much as they can remember of their life, Um, family relationships, children, um, abuse as those who have been sexually abused as children, which I have as well. Those who have uh, been hurt and those who have been harmed by this issue, those who are Disoriented, those who wake up on a daily basis not knowing what to think or what to believe about their own life. There are many who are hurting, which means we should have a tremendous amount of love and tenderness and grace as we consider uh, this moment. And then, as we enter into um, our cultural moment, you know, we need to kind of acknowledge the question of uh, how did we how did we get here? How, How did we get here? When when you would If you rewinded this thing a few decades ago, you would be familiar with something called the sexual revolution, which was a sexual liberation movement, a social movement that challenged the traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality throughout the United States and subsequently the wider world from the 1960s through the 1980s. It was essentially birthed out of a feeling of sexual repression. It ushered in a new normalization of a number of different things, um, things like contraception and the pill, public nudity, pornography, uh, widespread premarital sex, um, higher divorce rates, alternative forms of sexuality, the legalization of abortion, a number of other things all followed. We live in a culture that is impacted and shaped by this revolution. It's, It's the culture, it's the soup by which we are living in. And unfortunately, the church is more silent on the topic of sexuality than the Bible itself and we have allowed the, the world in many ways to kind of own the script, to define it, and it's important that we actually engage the issue in a helpful way, in a nuanced way, in a, in a truthful way, in a winsome way, and to recognize that this issue isn't new for the church, It's actually not new for the world. We're not the first culture to deal with this or to walk through this. We have a tendency as modern people to think that we're so progressive in our current generation and uh, no one else has ever dealt with this before, which is actually chronological snobbery. In fact, regarding sexuality, what we're experiencing in the twenty—hear me clearly—what we're experiencing in the 21st century is actually tame. It pales in comparison to what was going on in the first century. Literally, in the first century, I mean, there's a couple books in the Bible to the city of Corinth, the church in Corinth, and the things that Paul has to address—it would make many of us blush. Um, Paul addresses a number of different things. And and in the Greco-Roman world in the first century, there were literally sex gods. Uh, You could go to temples. There would be hundreds of prostitutes in temples, and you could go as an act of worship, and it was completely socially acceptable, and go and have sexual intercourse with people in a temple under the name of some kind of spirituality. We think of the city of Corinth, the temple of Aphrodite, uh, the Greek goddess of sex and fertility. I mean, it was just absolutely... Rampant. So we have to recognize that uh, this isn't new for the church at large. It might be new or newer in a season of our culture, but this is something that the church has engaged for a couple uh, millennia. And when we, look at, um, when we look at the stats and what we're experiencing even in our society, the, the stats are troubling that 41% of high school students in the U.S. have had sexual intercourse. Um, 38% of teenagers have sent a what's called a sexed message. 48%, that means one out of every two, have received one from a friend or someone that they know. Two out of three, every two out of three college students in the U.S. have had friends with benefits in a relationship. Almost 20% of women in the United States have been raped. Stats tell us that one in every four girls have been sexually abused by the age of 18, and one in six boys have um, as well. There's tremendous uh, confusion, and there's, I would say, tremendous chaos, and we're reaping the consequences. And it's not only true about the culture, but it's also true about um, the church. The church is supposed to be a countercultural kingdom community that shows the world what heaven is like. The world is supposed to look at us and observe in us how it should um, work on matters like money, uh, matters like family, things like work and friendship and and health and power, as well as sex and relationships. So we're going to dive in today, and we're going to take three weeks to walk through this. Here's, Here's the title for today. It's this, Who Defines Sexuality? Who Defines Sexuality? Um, I'm not going to be able to say everything that I'd like to say in part one, or we'd be here for about six hours. Here's what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk through um, a a few principles as well as several scriptures related uh, to those principles, and I'm going to do my best to to just provide a little bit of a framework and a little bit of foundation for moving forward. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to answer all of your questions. I'm not going to perhaps deliver this in the way that you think that I should deliver it. I'm perhaps not going to meet all of your expectations and make sure that um, you have everything that you need. I'm going to do my best to serve well, but recognize, uh, give me grace, I'm not going to strike this right down the middle according to whatever your middle is. And so I'm gonna do my best, but this is where we are going. In addition, one thing I'll mention one more time, or, or real quick before we begin, is there is a resource that, uh, that I have written that we've used for the last couple years, and it's called A Theology of Sexuality. And um, there's a QR code that you can actually um, use this QR code. And um, we, everyone that is on our distribution list, or if you'd like to be on it uh, this afternoon, I'm going to send this resource to anyone who's on the list and so that you can have it as a resource for, um, for moving for the qr code will take you to our website where you could sign up for our distribution list okay here we go here's 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 the first thing i'm gonna walk through a few principles and then provide some framework for the way that we think about this conversation And here's where we're going to go right out of the gate here's the first one scripture is the final rule of authority for all matters of life and practice within the church We're just going to go right out of the gate and say, this is the point. This is the principle that this is essentially the foundational principle that will determine which direction you go on this issue. Scripture is the final authority for all matters of life and practice within the church. And in many ways, you should be comforted by this, meaning that in every generation and in every culture, um, it, it's not up to an individual leader. It's not up to a collection of believers. It's not to a group of churches. It's not up to a denomination that dictates the way that we think about our life and the way that we live. At the end of the day, it is scripture, which was the principle that was birthed out of the Reformation, which is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this. Paul says, all Scripture, and when he says the word Scripture, he means the writings, the sacred writings that we find in the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's supernatural. It's, it's divine and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Righteousness is the word to know what is how to be in right relationship. And the man of, that the man of God, rather, may be complete, whole, may be equipped for every good work. What we see over and over again when we um, understand the people of God and the history of God's people is that that the the book that we use, that's called the Bible, the Scriptures, is not a um, is not some kind of human invention, but it is authored and produced by God. As well, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 would say this, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Which means the document that we use is a Holy Spirit document. It's a supernatural document that, yes, it was... Pinned by man, but it was authored by God. Hebrews 4:12 would say this, "For the Word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart that this book is a living book that there's something incredibly supernatural about it that when we read it and when we engage it it pierces even to the core of who we are so how you relate to scripture and interact with scripture will be the most significant decision you make regarding your understanding of sexuality like is the bible right Is the scripture right? Is the Bible the product of man or the product of God? Is it pure? Is it whole? Is it accurate? Is it authoritative? Is it trustworthy? How you answer these questions will determine where you end up. It will determine your destination on this issue. We believe that the scripture, the entirety of the Bible, is the very word of God and the breath of God. It's not merely the product of human invention or imagination, it's the product of divine inspiration and it is revelation. Uh, Theologians would call this special revelation, meaning the very truth and word of God in our lives. And not only did many of the writers treat the scriptures this way, Jesus himself treated the scriptures these way and actually... He could have moved the needle and said, those guys, those people said that a few thousand years ago. Let me reorient you on the scriptures. He did not do that. He actually went back to the beginning. He established all of his teachings on the beginning, meaning that scripture doesn't evolve over time and change over time, but that it is authoritative for all of life and practice for all time. Therefore, we hold that the scriptures are authoritative for our individual lives as well as for our corporate lives as a church And because it is authoritative, we should do our best to rightly understand it and rightly submit to it. And we not only believe it's authoritative, we believe it is tremendously helpful and practical for our lives. And through the scriptures, through the word of God, we find God's best. And when you walk in alignment with God's best, you experience God's Blessings. And as a loving father, God has provided us revelation so that we could understand him and understand how we should live as his children. And here's what we have to recognize is that um, the the scriptures and the truth of scriptures do not change. Um, They are universal in nature, which means they transcend cultural moments. Meaning, the truths we find in the Bible are intended to transcend all cultures of all times. It means that the scriptures will in some way always be offensive on some level to a culture. There is no culture in our current day or in the history of the world that has aligned with the scripture in a way that it wasn't offensive to them. No culture aligns with the totality of biblical truth. So in, for instance, in our progressive Western society, and you got to recognize there's lots of different cultural expressions throughout our day. Um, around the world, around the globe, in the West, which is what uh, America and Europe is referred to. In the West, um, many are offended by what the Bible says on this topic, sexuality or gender or even things like divine judgment. Those in the West will be like, how could you ever think that way? It's so offensive but in traditional cultures, Eastern, Eastern cultures, it's the opposite. They don't have a hard time with sexual ethics or divine judgment, but rather they have a hard time with grace and forgiveness and things like ethnic equality and the elimination of classes. See, the goal is to always remain faithful to scripture, regardless of how countercultural it may seem. So therefore, as a follower of Jesus, recognizing that all of us may not be followers of Jesus, which is, um, which is okay. And glad that you are here and participating in us. But for those of us who call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, when you find yourself at odds with the culture because of what the Bible says, consider that a good thing. You need to, you need to recognize that's actually a good thing. If, if you're in a culture and there isn't thing about you that's different than the culture, that should be a red flag. It's actually a good thing. Jesus would even say in John 7, 7, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus is like, I didn't sign up for people to like me. I I I didn't sign up to be like the world. What I'm doing is to change the world. And the way that you change the world is actually being light in darkness. The darkness doesn't need more darkness. It actually needs darkness. Light. So we must recognize that Scripture will be authoritative for our lives as best we can understand it, and as best we can interpret it, we will live accordingly in our lives. Here's the second thing. Here's the second principle that I think is necessary for the conversation that we're going to talk about, is that all people, regardless of sexual history, trauma, or orientation, are made in the image of God, and they possess intrinsic value all people it doesn't matter experience it doesn't matter orientation it doesn't matter past what they what people have done what what others have have done to you it doesn't matter what your 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 story is or your perspective is that everyone as a as a as a human as a created a being in the image of God we all possess intrinsic value. Genesis one twenty seven would say this. So God created man in his own image, that there's something that you bear in your own being that is, that is imitating. That's a reflection of God himself in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So there's, there's, there's dignity. There, there's value. The psalmist would say in Psalm eight, four and five, he would say, What is man that you are mindful of him, O God? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And here's what you've, you've done for humanity. Crowned him with glory and honor. That there's a sense of glory that we should we should have about the way that God has, has made us in comparison to all the other created beings in the world that we stand as the pinnacle of God's creation and we possess glory and honor. And there are no asterisks for the kinds of people that possess that glory and honor. It's all humans. And so as we begin the conversation, it's critical for, critical for us to recognize that all people are due honor. And value because they are made in the image of God. And for each of us, we bear the very image of God and we possess the worth that's connected to God himself. And so therefore, as followers of Jesus, we have to avoid superiority or inferiority as it relates to our sexuality or this issue. All people are equal in their essence as image bearers of God. And so therefore, we must lead with honor and value to people regardless of their sexuality reminded of the scripture where jesus is instructing his disciples and i want you to hear today and 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 maybe you're in person or maybe you're online or maybe you're listening to this after the fact i want you to hear today that 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 the movement of of god and the movement of, of jesus it's built on love it's built on love. And today is one of those days where it doesn't seem like this. I mean, you're concerned about the church and this is all the church ever talks about. And this is all that Christians do is they they rail on the culture and all the judgmentalism and all the other things. I need you to know that, that, the, that the central... Uh, message and heartbeat of the story of God and of Christ and the gospel of God's people is that of love. Jesus would say in Matthew 22, 37 to his his followers, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus doesn't give us the luxury of like, you can love some of your neighbors, but not some of the other neighbors. You only have to love people that vote like you. You only have to love people that look like you. You only have people that orient their sexuality like you. No, Jesus says that there's no fine print. There's no asterisk. Jesus says that you have to love your neighbor. And even in the story when the guy's like, who's my neighbor? It's just that, it's like, I don't, well, tell me who that, is. Jesus actually paints a picture in a parable that says, the worst kind of person imaginable that you can think of, that's your neighbor. And you got to love your neighbor. And, and so, so therefore, we lead with love. Um, and we love um, any and, and everyone who is in our life. We love our neighbor. Here, here's, here's the next point is this. God is our source of morality. This is important. Not cultural trends, public consensus, individual opinion, or the legislation of the state. And you need to recognize that as a good thing. That, that, that everyone has a sense of morality. Everyone, even the most relativistic person who says, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. If I'm back, backing out of here today, and um, my bumper scrapes the entire side of your vehicle, you're going to make me pay for that. Even the most relativistic of people, you're not going to say, you know what, that's your truth. You know, you're good. No. <laughs> you have a sense of morality. Now, you may draw the line differently, or in a different place than I, but you have a sense of uh, morality. Every, every single person does. And, and you have to d- define or you have to determine what's the source of that. Who gets to establish that? Is, is it God or is it something else? Is it, is it just a cultural trend? Whatever the direction the culture is going, let's get on the train with that. Is it public consensus? Let's take a vote. Is it, is it individual opinion that whatever you think and whatever I think and whatever she thinks and whatever he thinks? Or, or is it the legislation of, of the state? At the, at the end of the day, you have to decide who's going to be the source of morality. The psalmist would say in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It actually stimulates the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether. more to be desired are they than gold yes. or whatever or or acceptance or 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 approval even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb here's the thing everybody has a line when it comes to the topic of sexuality, we, we kind of want to have this perspective that, well, you know what, we just anything goes, you know, whatever, whatever is right for them, whatever is based on love, at the end of the day, how in the world could you have an issue with love? As long as someone is loving, what is the big deal? Well, you, we say that, or that's kind of the sentiment of, of some, but the reality is that there is a line, like there is a line, like you have a, like, you have a line. I mean, wherever your line is, there's, I mean, you're like, uh, what about pedophilia? You, you're good with, like, uh, sexual relations with children. They're like, oh, most people, like, there's a line. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to go there. But you, I just imagine all the other, at some point, you've got a line. So, so, so the question is, who draws the line? Who, who, who draws the line? The problem with following individual opinion or cultural trends, or public consensus, or even the legislation of the state, is that none of them historically have actually embodied true and pure morality. None of them have actually uh, produced healthy, prospering societies where there is um, flourishing, it's human flourishing, what the scriptures would call shalom. And too often the trends of society historically have actually led to awful practices of gross immorality. Consider the transatlantic sh- slave trade in America. Virtually everyone was on board with that, even many in the church. If you would have taken a vote, everyone would have been like, that's a great idea. Yep, yep, we need that, that's totally fine. Everyone would have voted for enslaving African-Americans and treating them like they were three-fifths human. Is, is it just, is it a cultural trend? Should we just get on board with whatever the cultural trend is? Um, or not not only the transatlantic slave trade in america what about the anti-semitic brutality in germany pretty much everybody almost an entire society was like we're down with that we're on board thumbs up for us murdering and the holocaust murdering millions of jews it's or or what about apartheid in, in south africa everybody at the time thought that was a great idea but looking back all these issues were clearly evil but at the time it was actually societally accepted and endorsed and all these are evidences that society is a poor source for morality it's kind of like you you can look at something and like at first glance it's like yeah i'm down with that that looks good yeah i like that it it, it makes it makes it makes sense to me kind of reminds me of um a few years ago i was i was have you heard me tell this? I was eating a, a pack of nabs. You know what nabs are? Anybody grew up in the South, by the way? <laughs> nabs Nabs are these Nabs are these wonderful little crackers. I don't know how they got orange, but they're orange, and they've got peanut butter in between. They're like, I mean, as a as a true Southern boy, I mean, I, I grew up on nabs. And I remember, like, um, I eat nabs all the time. And I remember uh, one day in particular, grab, grabbed a pack of nabs, he opened it up, boom, you know, hit hit the first one, and I'm like... Man, something's, something's a little off. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but that doesn't taste quite like the nabs that I and I'm I'm quite the nab expert. So I was like, "This is a little." It's a little off. And I got the second one. I'm like, you know, well, let's 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 keep going. I'm kind of that personality. Let's keep going. You know, let's let's just let's keep going. Hit the second one, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that's uh, that's that's two in a row. It's, it's a little, little, but I'm kind of hungry. Whatever, whatever, it's kind of it's fine. Get to the third one, and, and I'm about halfway through the third one, and then I happen to look at the bottom of the bag. Or the package. There's a little hole in the bottom, and a roach had crawled in the bottom and had begun to to eat the the bottom two nabs. And at that point, I was like, "Take me home to Jesus right now." I'm like, you know, it... um, but but the point is the point the point is this: something can a- appear good or enticing or okay or right at first glance, not recognizing that something below it could be terribly off with it. Individuals and societies are more often woefully mistaken on matters of morality and justice. Like just, I mean, human history, we just don't have a good track record on morality and justice. So to think that the goal or that we should do is like whatever the culture is feeling and the trend of, let's just get on board with that train. I want you to know that that train is not going to take us a place that we want to go. And and we have to recognize that that individuals and society are just not the, the best source for morality. We must understand that ultimate morality finds its source in God. And if there is morality, And if there is a right and wrong, if there are moral laws, then we have to ask the question, who's the moral law giver? Laws don't just appear out of thin air. And if there is something about our world, our universe, that seems like there is right and there is wrong, that there is a moral law, we have to ask the question, who is the moral law giver? And what we must understand is that ultimate morality finds its source in God. And because God is the author of morality, the only way to pursue true morality is when our morality is based on God's framework for it and all other sources will fail miserably. So who, def- who defines it? You have to ask the question, who, who defines it? Who gets the opportunity? Who gets the privilege? Who gets the right to define it? Because if it's not God and it's maybe the government, maybe celebrities, maybe music lyrics, maybe a legislature, maybe whatever, then we're going to be constantly trying to hit a moving target. And if you've ever tried to hit a moving target, it's, it's almost um, impossible. It's incredibly hard. And so regardless of where you individually land on this issue and regardless of how it affects you personally, I'd like to, like to kind of go... Go here, which is at the end of the day, are you are you willing to follow Jesus on this matter? Like, I mean, let's just and I'm not I'm not saying that you have to. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that you got to do what Ethan does, you got to do what the Bridge Church does, or whatever. I just it's just a question. At, at the end of the day, who are you actually accountable to? At, at, at the end of the day, um, who are you actually following? Who are you actually obeying? Who, who would be your scripture or your a master on um, this issue? Last year, we were um, worshiping one day and um, had an interesting uh, encounter. And some of you were there. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not remember it. A gentleman in the back, you know, um, did something uh, interesting. You know, I actually encourage um, uh, congregational participation in in worship, by the way, and in preaching, I love it when you say amen or you say get it, preacher or whatever you say. Come on, somebody or whatever. I like that. I'm, uh, we're, we're down with that. You can you can you can talk back. Um, and uh, last year, however, though, every now and then you get one of those people. You know what I mean? And uh, there was a, there was a guy who who had, had been worshiping here and. Um, I won't go into all the detail, but things got a little squirrely over the course of a few weeks, and I had some interactions with him that I was like, I think this is, I think this is bad news. Um, at the end of the day, I would go to the elders, and I would report on the situation, and we would effectively tell him he cannot worship here anymore. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then it's necessary. But before that happened... Um, he was in the back one day, and, and, and I was wrapping up, uh, I can't remember the topic of the sermon, of wrapping up the sermon, and, and I'm leading into communion, and most Sundays we will uh, respond in, in communion and um, uh, anchoring and kind of going back to our, our center, which, which is the gospel and what Christ has done. And, and um, this particular day, I was doing like a good job at communion, okay? I was doing like it. I was doing a good job. I had the little... Elements and this, we'll do in here in just a moment, I have the little elements in, in, in the seat back, and um, but I, I grabbed it and, and I was I was at this moment and I was kind of holding it up and I, and I was like, "We remember this in Christ," and it was kind of quiet. And then he in the back, he goes, he raised it up and he goes to the King loudly, and I, without even thinking, said to the King, "Like," uh, <laughs> and I was like, "What have I just done?" And then, and I just walked off, I was just like, because oh. I was like, I don't know how to recover uh, from this. But, but th- this, this guy, and, and all of his imperfections, and, and all of his disastrous interactions with people in our church, on that moment, he had something right, which was this sense that at the end of the day, for those who follow Jesus, everything is to the King, meaning you've got to decide how you are going to relate to Jesus. And is he a friend, Um, is he a brother, is he a teacher, is he an influencer, or is he Lord? And the way that you answer that question will be the most defining question you answer your entire life. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be um, wading through these waters, and I just want you to know that um, we love you. Uh, we love you, and we're here to serve, and we're here to help, and I want you to know as well that there is, not only do we love you, there's a God who loves you. There's, there's a God who loves you. When he sees you, he doesn't, first of all, he doesn't see your sexuality as the first thing that he sees. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your proclivities. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your issues. When when, when God looks at you, he, he sees someone to love. To the degree that he would actually give his own life for you. He would lay down his life so that you could be changed, which is all of us, be forgiven could be renewed, could be restored, could be reconciled to God and enter into right relationship. And I want you to know today that regardless of who you are, or what you've done or what's been done to you, you can be saved. You can be changed. You, you can be made new. You can be made whole. Not through, not through your own efforts or your own wisdom or your own philosophies, perspectives or, or through a man or through a community, but through Christ and what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for um, your word, and we thank you that, as the scriptures have told us, that your word it's it's true and it's it's pure and it's it's wonderful. It's it's beneficial. It's it's delightful. And we thank you that um, you've given us revelation that you didn't leave us in the dark and tell us good luck, but now that you 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 spoke, you spoke and you revealed yourself and you gave us your. Your word and your way. And so, Father, I just um, ask that you would strengthen us, Lord, today and comfort us um, wherever we are.